Anya joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in India in 2014 when she was in her mid-20s. After serving a mission, she turned her attention to finding a Latter-day Saint man to marry, but things never worked out with the men she knew at church. One major reason for this was the difference in their hopes and expectations for the marriage and her role in it. I am a self-dependent person and I want to do this and I want to grow up. I want to develop myself a lot in my whole life and I want to earn money. I want to be a good mother as well. I want to be a good wife and good friend. So I want to become like, you know, I want to achieve all these things. And but when I was dating here, some guys, but they were saying like kind of these things, job, no you have to take care of my family, you have to take care of my mom and dad and family and all things, which is good. I will do it. But the thing is, I also want to do job. I also want to develop my career, my future. It will be good for my husband. It will be good for my children as well. I will support him. But yeah, I know there will be a time where I will be helping my children. Like many women around the world, Anya is looking for a spouse who shares her vision of marriage, partnership, and self-development. And thanks to online Latter-day Saint dating sites, she may just have found him half a world away. I'm Caroline Klein, and you're listening to This Global Latter-day Life. Anya's story is one of hundreds we've collected as part of Claremont Graduate University's Oral History Projects. Today we'll be talking about Anya's oral history and her experiences as a single woman in India in search of the right marriage partner. This episode features clips from Anya's recorded oral life history interview, but to protect her privacy, we have changed her name. Anya is a pseudonym. This episode is part one of two in which we'll be discussing global Latter-day Saints navigating the challenges of single life. Dr. Tonalyn Ford will be joining us for both of these episodes to discuss the oral histories, provide context, and share some insights based off of the work she has done with global Latter-day Saints. Just to quickly introduce myself again, I am the Assistant Director of the Center for Global Mormon Studies at Claremont Graduate University, and I am excited to have Dr. Tonalyn Ford with us today. Tonalyn, welcome, and can you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. I am currently a fellow at the Maxwell Institute at BYU, and I'm working on finishing up what has been about eight years of research in India, looking at Latter-day Saints in India, a little bit of community of Christ in India, lots and lots of oral history and basic ethnographic research that I'm trying to put together into a volume that will be published soon, hopefully. So my care about this subject and my passion, of course, started, I think, where yours did with our amazing mentor, Claudia Bushman and the Mormon Women's Oral History Project. So that got me enamored of the concept of oral history and the power of narratives. So I just think there is so much that we can learn from these voices, especially these voices that we wouldn't hear otherwise. Absolutely. Yes, I think of Claudia often as uh, the inspiration behind so much of what I do with oral history as well. And I'm also really drawn to this topic of 
single people in the church, especially single women. Um, I myself was raised by a single mom, a widowed mother, and who never remarried. So she was single throughout my life. And it's a really important issue. It was mentioned last conference that over half adult members in the church are single. Even so, it's still a challenge to navigate Latter-day Saint life as a single person when so much theology, so much of the emphasis and attention in church meetings revolves around the idea of the nuclear family. And that said, you know, having talked to several Latter-day Saint women around the world, I have gotten a really good sense of women's agency and abilities to make impacts and contribute to their local congregations, regardless of marital status. Um, though, of course, at times, single women experience some real costs and tensions. Yeah. And I can just add to that, too. I, With my own research, the last trip that I did in India and the research there was influenced in great part by what my was what was going on in my life personally at the time i had actually realized that my own marriage was going to be ending and so that really opened my mind to the experience of women in india and women in the church in in new ways and i find myself far more interested in this topic and in understanding and you know, developing perhaps resources that that will help others, but also just just an understanding and lifting the voices of those that are that are extremely valuable in this in this position as single women in the church. Anya, one of nine children, grew up in New Delhi in a large Hindu family. She never knew much about Christianity until she met a friend at work when she was in her twenties. This friend told her about the church. As a Hindu, Anya was wary at first, but when her friend invited her to attend a church activity celebrating Indian Independence Day, she decided to go and see what it was like. So when I uh, attend that, that day church, that day there are a lot of friends, a uh, lot of people were there in the church and uh, my friend Rajini Gupta, she introduced me with a lot of church members and uh, I was feeling, okay, wow, they are so cool and they are so friendly and I became, I actually that day I had made a lot of friends there and I really liked it and um, from that day I have decided to uh, attend church on every Sunday. But deciding to join wasn't an easy decision. Her family initially opposed her choice to get baptized, though they ultimately supported her. Okay, so my family, uh, you know, like if they are Hindu, so definitely they will not like it. Uh, they will not. They will not like it if I'm changing my religions, because they helped me a lot to grow up in their religions. And suddenly I will change the religions. They will be annoying. But um, uh, so far, my parents said, if you are doing uh, right things in your life, if you are doing uh, good things, so as far as you can just go ahead and do it. They are like, okay, that's your life. Anya went on to serve a mission in London, an experience which greatly improved her English. But when she came home, she had a hard time finding a job. I was just wondering, okay, why I have been having these rejections from all these interviews. And from each interviews, I have been noticing myself, okay, where I need to improve, what I need to do to get job in some places. So it's been a six month, more than six months. 
and then uh, there was a there was my friend uh, who is in london and he knew about me and he was asking me hey so you are in new delhi right now so what are you doing nowadays and he was asking these questions and i was telling him okay i have been facing a lot of interviews but i'm not getting a job and blah uh, so he said hey don't worry about it because god has planned something for you so he knew about me he knew about my skills he knew about my qualifications and my work experience because i have been working with government sectors and private sectors more than 10 years this latter day saint friend helped her to get a job with a private foundation which creates gospel related content and now working with morgood foundation which is related to gospel where i am um, creating a lot of videos related to gospel so that there are a lot of people those who are looking for the answers or something so they will uh, they will get the answer through this website getting this job was a huge moment in her life anya is a driven person determined to succeed professionally she's also someone who is determined to try to find an appropriate marriage partner as a 34 year old she faces some significant pressure from her family to get married most of the time they are asking me okay when are you getting married when are you getting married because this is your right age to get married and have your own family and children and all things you know in india it happened like when girls are 18 year old they need to get married but here now i'm 34 so you can imagine my family they are so worried about it i tell them always like a uh, when i find a right person for me with whom i can feel that he is the right person for me to get married i will i will do it i will get married with him in india it's common for parents to have a large role in selecting marriage partners for their children but anya's family is taking more of a hands off approach okay they said okay just find a good person we don't uh, we don't care about if he is christian just get married because you are 34 so yeah they want me to just get married I'm just looking for a person with whom I can feel comfortable, with whom I can feel love and attractions and good understanding and good feelings which is really required for a relationship. After a lot of prayer and dating in New Delhi, Anya found her fiance online. He's a Mexican church member and they've never met in person. Nevertheless, they feel good about moving forward with their relationship. so the most important thing i have been asking to my heavenly father in my prayer please help me to find a guy with whom i can date and with whom i can get married please help me what i need to do so i have been doing these things and uh, so when i found this guy from mexico uh, it's been uh, maybe 2 years i think 2018 when i came back from my mission so that time i have found him from that website and i have been chatting with him Uh, in the beginning we were like very very good friend and uh, we are having a good friendship good understanding everything is going good and uh, recently we just decided uh, because we have been also praying together fasting together for this and um, he also felt the same felt the spirit and i also felt the, felt spirit and The thing is we have found okay we are really a good friend very very best friend and having good understanding good feelings and which is really really good and I like it I love it now we have decided to get married but now the thing is he is from Mexico and here in India we are having lockdown so we are just waiting for the frontier when it will open he will come here 
and then we will get married. Woohoo! Anya has found the kind of supportive relationship she was looking for, one in which her husband would support her career aspirations in her Mexican fiance. Yeah, so that's what my friend whom I'm going to get married, he is uh he support me for all these things. He said you have freedom if you want to do if you want to do all these things, please do it because that's your skill, that's your talent, don't stop it. Just do it. Anya has never experienced church teachings about gender roles as limiting. In fact, she believes the church encourages every person, male or female, to achieve and become self-reliant. Uh, yes, actually church never teach us that stop doing all these things, you should not do your work, you should not focus on your career. No, church never teach all these things. They always support all the uh, young generation to develop themselves in their career and there are a lot of things they are doing in LDS, kind of BYU, pathway, you know, there are a lot of things they are doing for us uh, to be a self-reliant. And I think I would say those 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 boys with whom I was dating, I think, I don't know, maybe that's their understanding, that's where they uh, have learned from okay. their fa- family maybe. I'm not sure, but I don't like it. I okay. just want to do my best for my future, for my career. Anya might have had to reach halfway across the world to find the right match for her. But ultimately, when the pandemic in India is over and the borders are open, she has every hope for a marriage with a best friend who will support her passion for personal and professional growth. Her parting thoughts in her oral history reinforced this theme of self-development, which ran through her interview. I would say don't stop it. Just continue to develop yourself and do your best and do your actions. Because when you do your actions and uh, do your hard work and uh, have faith in Christ, you will do it. You will develop. You will grow up in your life. So I loved Anya's oral history and her determination to find a good marriage partner, and she did not have an easy time. Tonalyn, based on your research, how hard is it for Latter-day Saints in their 20s and 30s to find suitable marriage partners in India? I noticed that Anya's parents really took a step back and did not assert a lot of control there, but maybe that's a little bit atypical. How did women you talk to in India go about finding spouses? Yes. One thing that stood out in Anya's interview is when she talks about how the reason her parents stepped back, right? The fact that you are 34, right? This is like a crisis for women, so to speak, that need that, that spouse, it, according to you know the, the conditions there. People want their children married. That's very important to them. So they were willing to, and the fact that they said, we don't even care if he's Christian, I think is interesting too. So yeah, as I looked at this, there were many, many women who dealt with arranged marriage. That's very much still a part of the church. So, and it's difficult for young Latter-day Saint women or getting older Latter-day Saint women to be able to find an appropriate match, someone who they feel they're equally yoked with within the church. There are few and far between those that would meet that bill, I guess. And then on top of that, you've got the issue of arranged marriage and the fact that 
parents are deciding whether or not that is in a desirable spouse. There's some interesting things that go on between the North and the South in India as well. Sometimes there's those that, or just different states, right? Someone will come from a different state. And for us, we would understand in the U.S. or in the Western world that there's times where parents will speak and say, actually, you're not compatible with that person or that person comes from a different culture or different background, right? So differences between states in India are huge. You're looking at different languages, different cultural identities. So it's not just caste difference. It's also this difference in where you are from. And so there's so much going on that makes it more complex. So it's difficult, of course, for women in the church in general, but it's, I think, at least twice as hard for women in the church in India, if not more. Is there any sort of, is there a particular anecdote or a person you think of when you think back to your interviews in India? Is there any sort of woman's story or or man's story that jumps out at you that was kind of a remarkable one in terms of marriage, maybe choosing to go against parental wishes or or I don't know, is there something, is there something that comes to mind? Well, it's hard to, to tell you which comes to mind. There are so many that come to mind. This was a huge element in my interviews. So, so many people that many women who chose to defy parents and chose to be married that have to run away in order to be married because they were marrying someone who was Christian, which automatically is an outcast. The move to marry outside of caste and outside of your parents' wishes to run away like that brings a sort of shame to the family that doesn't end. I remember a woman saying that I continue to feel that shame coming from friends and communities It was easier for her to live her life outside of India than it was to return to her home. But there were those who did. There was one in particular that I interviewed and she had served a mission outside of India. And I felt like she seemed to be quite westernized, so to speak, because of her mission experience. And I was surprised when her mother said, you know, we're arranging a marriage for her. And in my mind, I thought... I don't know that that's going to happen for that young lady. I just don't see her conforming to that. And yet in the end, she did later on when I returned, she had married and, and it had been an arranged marriage. So there's so many that I know women that have chosen to remain single, that it was more important for them to not have someone outside of the church I've also seen women who have dealt with being single for a while, who then in the end have said, actually, it's more important to me to have a relationship than it is to have this person part of the church. And they've gone, you know, trying to to maintain their membership in the church and marrying outside. So interfaith marriage then. Exactly. And for those women that choose to stay single, how do they navigate their single 
Latter-day Saint life. Does the church actually provide a, an honored space for single women or single people? Or is it just kind of as difficult to be single within the church as it is to be single in, in the greater Indian society? Yeah. So I think as you hinted at there, there's struggles, there's opposition within the, the church culture itself because of our theology being so centered around the family and eternal marriage. So there's difficulties there. But on top of that, in India, you definitely have a patriarchal culture that values and women's identity and value is very enmeshed in their marital status. So I did actually interview some women who who felt like even in callings that they had where they were in a leadership position, their authority was questioned because of their marital status. They felt like that other women judged them and said, you don't understand because you're not married or you're single. So, you know, I, I don't know that we could say if that's the case for just India or if that's a case with um, more patriarchal countries or cultures, but I think there was definitely an added dimension to that. Divorce is a very difficult situation. And I'll tell you, I, I was actually explaining to a very dear friend of mine from the church in India that I was going through a divorce and her, her reaction was why? And she just couldn't understand that there would be anything that would be worth going through that turmoil and, and um, making that decision. So the, the concept of divorce is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that gives us some really good context to understand just how important marriage and staying married is in India. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I was another part of Anya's oral history that really jumped out to me was her experience of dating some, or at least a couple Latter-day Saint Indian men in her community. And she didn't feel good about them as potential marriage companions because there were some expectations that included ideas about her taking on the care of the elderly parents, not working, and so on. And that just was not going to work for Anya. And so I was wondering if you can maybe give us some context for these expectations I don't know if that was like, a, if that's a widespread sort of attitude or if that was just these particular gentlemen that she was dating. But what is the context of this and how do women in India and Latter-day Saint women navigate these expectations? Yeah, so I hinted a little bit at, at the differences between the north and the south in India. Um, there's also a difference between people from villages versus cities. And there are different women who have experienced or, or men who have perhaps experienced in work, school that will bring them, you know, expectations that are more westernized, we might say. And if they're dating someone who has more traditional Indian values, then there's going to be some problems there. So one of the important values for traditional Indian families is this idea of the woman will go to the husband's family and she becomes almost a, a servant to that family for in some cases, right? She becomes very much a part of that family and a possession almost of that family that she will work and serve. We're talking in very 
traditional ways now. The concepts of the nuclear family, when we talk about Western marriage and, and the church in general, we really think in nuclear terms. In a lot of these countries like India, there are joint families, right? Where people live together with parents and with other brothers and sisters. And so if a woman was expecting to marry a man and her idea is to have a nuclear family, right? That could be a place where there would be difference. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me that she's had that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. And also, as I think about women navigating these kinds of expectations sometimes, I'm wondering if their membership in the church mitigate some of this? Like do, I guess, westernized uh, Latter-day Saint sort of ideas of marriage, are they considered comparatively liberal or empowering or progressive? Uh, Is there more space for Latter-day Saint women to pursue careers, not take on subordinate positions in marriage? Or how does this all play out in a Latter-day Saint Indian context? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, of course, it's very diverse. And I can't speak for the entire Indian Latter-day Saint population. But I can tell you with my experience that there's difficulty for, there's times where leaders, perhaps leaders from North America or outside of India, who will encourage um, Western practices like dating and like insisting move out of your family's home, move out of the home of those parents have be on your own. Right. And some of those are, are, are ideas that for some will feel like a Western imposition, right. Rather than a gospel. Whereas there will be those who feel like, no, actually that is the gospel allowing us to have that freedom to use our agency to date and to choose a marriage partner, allowing us to be on our own and to not have to have a joint family. If, you know, by the same token, and and I think I have noticed quite remarkable ability for mission presidents and others that I've discussed with and talked with their ability to, um, to not impose. I think there's been a conscious desire not to impose the cultural imperialist type of framework on some of these cultures. But that's the challenge in the global church, right? Is what is the gospel and what is culture? And the rubber really hits the road in terms of marriage in India. That's where things start to matter caste is not as much of an issue until you start to talk about marriage. And then it starts to be something that parents will help children to think about, or perhaps sometimes insist that they think about. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you so much for all this insight, Tonalyn. This is so interesting. Thank you. It's been delightful. One final word of thanks to Shiloh Logan for the many hours he put into editing this episode. A Claremont Graduate University Mormon Studies podcast.
Hi, this is Caroline Klein, host of This Global Latter-day Life. If you're enjoying the kind of stories you're hearing from Latter-day Saint women around the world on this show, you'll also enjoy my new book. It's called Mormon Women at the Crossroads, and it's filled with compelling stories like the ones you've been hearing on This Global Latter-day Life. Order a copy at the University of Illinois Press website, on Amazon.com, or from your favorite local book retailer. Mormon Women at the Crossroads by Caroline Klein. This Global Latter-day Life is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Fireside with Blair Hodges. This is a great podcast. I'll let him introduce it. I'm going to take a risk in this ad by saying the word holiness right here in the very first sentence. That's risky because the word can trigger all kinds of positive or negative feelings. I mean, sometimes I'm afraid to call something holy because it makes things feel sort of unrelatable or, or like disconnected from everyday life. And really, I mean, that's too bad because the word's actually related to wholeness and helpfulness, which suggests that maybe we can learn to find holiness in places we never really thought to look before. I'm talking about holiness like a fire. It can warm, but it can also burn. You might get smoke in your eyes, but the flickering flames are also really beautiful. If this kind of holiness sounds appealing, you should check out Fireside with Blair Hodges. It's a podcast featuring writers, artists, and activists who can help expand your concept of holiness to include the gritty, earthy stuff of everyday life. Come fan the flames of your curiosity at Fireside with Blair Hodges, part of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Available at firesidepod.org and wherever you get your podcasts.